Why don't you take your Bibles and would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. And as you're turning there, let's just bow our heads and we'll pray and invite God's presence into this room today. Father God, we thank you for the privilege that we have of lifting up the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that as we look at your word, we would have hearts that could receive the principles that your word teaches. For, Lord, they're truly life-giving. And, Lord, I pray you'd speak clearly and concisely to us so that we would understand what the Spirit of the Lord would say and give us ears to hear that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we begin today, I want to make something very clear. I'm not a politician. I believe that I have a higher calling. I'm not putting down the calling of our friends who are politicians But God has entrusted me with really the greatest privilege any person can ever have, and that's to be his servant. No matter what role you play, whatever God has called you to, if you're a servant of the Lord, that's a truly a great honor. But I have the privilege of sharing with you the uncompromising word of God, and with privileges come responsibilities. I want to talk to you about my responsibility as a spiritual leader and your responsibility as a citizen. Because you're not only a citizen of these United States, you're also citizens of a kingdom that far surpasses any kingdom that this earth has ever known. You're part of the kingdom of heaven. And I have a responsibility to share with you what God's word says. And you have a responsibility to apply biblical principles to every part of your life. Biblical principles do not just apply to your spiritual life. Biblical principles impact the choices that you make as a professional. Things that you do on your job, other people may be able to do. You can't do those things because of biblical principles that you hold to. Biblical principles also impact you socially. They impact you financially. There's things that maybe people who you do business with that they don't do or that they do do, and you do something different because you base your life upon biblical principles. Our politics should also be based upon biblical principles. Not just what benefits me, but what does God's word say? What are the principles of the kingdom that he has established? You know, you and I have been given the privilege of living free in the greatest country on the earth. In spite of its faults and shortcomings, America is the envy of most of the world. The poorest people in America are considered rich compared to the vast majority of the earth's inhabitants. Things that we take for granted, like clean water and sewage, personal and national security, many in the world have never experienced these things. America is a land of opportunity, and from all around the globe, people want to send their children here for education, and they long to come to this country. It is a land of opportunity. If you're willing to make the sacrifices, you can get an education, you can find a job, you can start a business, you can improve your life and and provide a better life for your children, And, and throughout the history of our country, People have traveled from around the world with hopes of a better life for them and their families. And they found it here. I did not say everything would be handed to you. I said if you're willing to make the sacrifices, America is a land of opportunity. In America, you're given the opportunity to worship as you see fit. 
all of you today were able to get in a car or call a friend or somehow ride a bike here. You were able to come to this house of worship. You were able to gather with people of like precious faith and to lift up the name of Jesus without the fear of punishment, without the fear of persecution. Many places in the world do not know that freedom. Many places in the world, many people in the world have never had the opportunity to lay their hands upon a Bible. Yet you and I do. Our country was founded upon biblical principles. We are also given the privilege of being part of a democracy. There's a variety of different kinds of governments that are set up. Today in America, you can run if you so choose. You can run for a political office. And you can have the opportunity to direct the decisions that are made on your local school board or the local government or the state or national level. With that privilege, we also have a responsibility to vote for those who we feel will best represent our views. And if you choose not to vote, that's your right. But you have that privilege You have that privilege to vote, have an influence in the choices or the decisions that are made for our country. May I say this to you, though? Our vote should not just be our own personal interest. Our vote should reflect the principles of the kingdom that we represent. Just like on the job, when you go on the job, you represent, if you're born again and Jesus Christ is truly the Lord of your life, the decisions that you make on that job are a reflection upon him. They're a reflection upon him. And so at the decisions that we make and the votes that we cast are a reflection upon what we believe about his kingdom. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says this. Would you read it with me? Righteousness exalts a nation... But sin is a disgrace to any people. Let's say that one more time. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. When we talk about righteousness, we're talking about just principles and right actions. We're talking about having a cause or being in the right. Okay? Righteousness, according to the scripture, elevates or puts an honor upon a nation and its people. When we look at this scripture, we realize that this scripture can be expanded. Righteousness exalts a school district. How many of you want to be in like the lowest school district that you possibly can? Like when you buy your house, you're saying, man, I hope that our, I think there's like 501 school districts or 511 um, there's, you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, I, I hope that we rank like number 500 and like, like, like just number 500 from the top. I hope that we rank number 500. No, you don't want to buy a house in the worst school district in the state. But the Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a church. Righteousness, right principles, right living, right action exalts a church. Righteousness exalts a township. It exalts a county. Let me ask you this. Why do you think so many people travel through this area and they say about Lancaster County and particularly like eastern Lancaster County how beautiful it is 
and how, a lot of times I'll use how peaceful it is. It's not just the manure. Some of you think, I know what it is. It's like that scent. It's the scent of cow manure being spread all over our farms. That's, that's why people want to come here. Or the chicken houses. That's it. That's what makes it peaceful. I want to assure you of this. People come and they sense something about our community. And part of that is, is because righteousness. That there, there's a lot of people in our community who are committed to righteousness to doing what is right, to doing what is just, to doing what is high or the higher plane. The Bible also says, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin degrades people. You know, in the scripture we says, where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. But I want you to know this, where sin abounds in a community, it brings disgrace upon a community. It brings shame upon a community. It brings the whole level of our community down. And so what we need to be is we need to be people of righteousness, of right judging, of right decisions. Vice or sin reigning in a nation brings a reproach upon that nation. Vice or sin reigning in a community brings a reproach upon that community. Vice or sin reigning in a church brings a reproach upon that church. Vice or sin reigning in a home brings a reproach upon that home. Vice or sin reigning in your life brings a reproach upon your life. I was thinking about you and I making decisions down here at the local convenience store down at the corner. I went in one morning to get my morning coffee. We had a routine. Tim and I would come that way. The guy who owned the the convenience store, Mike, I walked in, I turn to get my coffee, I turn around and look and there's all these dirty magazines. So I said, hey Mike, you know, they, they weren't there before. So I said to him, hey Mike, do you take complaints? And so and we had a relationship, I'd see him on a regular basis and talk to him and I always greet him and uh, I said, do you take complaints? And he's like, oh, you know, he didn't know what to say. I said, well, I, it's just, I won't be able to bring my family in here anymore. He looked at me funny. I said, I can't bring my family in here if you're going to have this kind of stuff walk my kids around this stuff. I can't bring my family in here. You know, Mike was a Hindu guy, but he's very devout in his faith. A Hindu, he fast a lot more than what Christians fast. And he prayed a lot more than what most Christians pray. And I said to him, I said, Mike, I won't be able to bring my family in here. That's all I said to him. I walked out and the next day I came back in I, to get my coffee and Mike all smiles with me. And he said, hey, Steve. He said, did you see? And he pointed to where his dirty magazines were. And he said, I took them out. He says, I have kids too. Now, can I say this to you? Righteousness, he didn't want his kids looking at that stuff. Righteousness, right living, exalts a nation. When you and I make decisions, you know, Blue Ball Lanes wanted to get a liquor license. And some people say, well, and, and it's a free country. Well, it is a free country. And you and I have a voice in a free country. And one of the local pastors, I was the president of the ministerium at the time, one of the local pastors says, Blue Ball Lanes is applying for a liquor license. Can I be honest with you? We got enough liquor license in eastern Lancaster County. We really don't need another, especially a place where kids go and hang out and where families, it's a family-oriented thing. And so as a ministerium, we just penned a letter. And I wrote a letter as a pastor from our church just saying that we just didn't think that was the best decision for our community. Do you realize if you drive by Blue Ball Lanes, they don't have a liquor license. If you want to go, 
to buy that stuff. You can buy it somewhere else. But righteousness exalts a nation. You see, it's those decisions that we make, those choices, those times that we speak up. We have a voice. Oh, it may have been your child who was driving home and who got hit by a drunk driver. I think there's enough drunk drivers on the road now. I don't think we need it at the, the local bowling alley. Each of us have a voice. Each of us have something that we say. And if we don't speak up, if we don't speak up, then you wonder what other doors does that open up in our community? Simply with just a 30-second conversation with a store owner, he removed that stuff from our community. Isn't that awesome? A 30-second conversation, and I'd buy a cup of coffee each morning and my gas. Proverbs 29, verse 2 says this. When the righteous, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. The first thing I want to talk to you about, we're talking about biblical principles, and I want to talk to you about Biblical principles and how those apply to our decisions in how we vote and how we view things. The first thing I want to talk to you about the economy. Remember recently, last election, people said it's the economy, stupid. Uh, Did you hear that? You heard that saying? You know, it's the economy. Well, oftentimes, people vote based upon what they think will best serve them financially. While finances are important, you cannot make life decisions based solely upon financial results. As Christians, we make decisions based upon the word of God. I want you to understand this. If you make a decision to honor God over your finances, God will honor your finances. If you make a decision to honor your finances over God, what I see again and again is I see people who fail. Okay? If you make your decisions based upon what finances say, okay? If I lie a little bit, I'll benefit from this. If I cheat a little bit, if I leave this bit of truth out, then I will benefit financially. If you make your decisions based upon finances alone, then we know who your God is. If your decision is in life, the choices that you make are based solely upon finances, then we've discovered who your God is, and you don't have to be wealthy, You don't have to be wealthy for finances to be your God. Proverbs 22 verse 7 tells us that the borrower is a servant to the lender. The government's unbridled spending needs to be brought under control. If not, we subject future generations of Americans to servitude. As in our own personal lives, we can't keep spending more than we take in. At some point, you have to realize that you can't always have everything that you want. Lori may want a motorhome, and and I would like to give them those things if they want them. I think Dad might like them too, but those things would be nice. But the reality of it is this. And I may say, well, I love my kids, and I want to give them what they want. But there comes a point where if I give them those things, there comes a point when I can't pay my bills. And so not wanting to disappoint them, Somewhere along the line, you have to say the hard things and say, hey, hey, buddy, we can't afford that right now. And our government needs to make some of those decisions as well. It's nice to try to keep everybody happy, but somewhere along the line, we have to say, if we keep spending and if we keep giving everything that they want so that you'll vote for me again, so that you'll like me, I'm really not doing good to you. I'm really harming you. And so 
true leaders, true leaders tell the truth. Even when you don't want to hear it. And even when it isn't pleasing, true leaders are willing to tell the truth and to do what is in the best interest of those whom they lead. Not in their own best interest, not just to make people happy or, or to get them to like them. You eventually have to pay back your debt. So politicians that keep spending and giving everyone what they want are only delaying the inevitable. It's only delaying it. The scripture also talks to us about exploiting the poor. You know, the Bible says that we're to care for the orphans and for the widows. The Bible teaches us a principle that we're to pay, but one of the prophets called out, he said that the wages that you failed to pay, your workers are crying out against you. And so whenever you exploit the poor, or you exploit people who are in desperate situations and you take advantage of them, that's against biblical principles. That's wrong. We're to deal with people justly. The Bible even warns against us charging usury. In other words, these exorbitant amounts of interest that they charge to people who are desperation. The Bible warns against those things. So there's a biblical principle that we're to care for those who are orphans and those who are widows. We're to care for them. We're to help those who are in times of need. The Bible teaches us this principle. It says that we're to bear one another's burdens. That there are times, you know what a burden is? A burden is this huge boulder that no one can carry on their own. And what it says is it teaches us this biblical principle that there are situations in life that are huge boulders that one family can't do it on their own or one person can't carry it on their own. And in those times, what happens is what the Bible teaches us is that we rally around those people and each of us helping to carry that burden, lift that load that's impossible. But the Bible also teaches us this. Bear one another's burdens, but each one must carry his own load. Okay? You know what your own load is? The burden is this huge boulder that no one can lift. The load, each must bear his own load, that is the knapsack. It's not my responsibility It's not my responsibility to carry your knapsack. It's not your responsibility to carry my knapsack. There's something that you and I need to have called personal responsibility. And it's something that our nation needs to teach. It's something that families need to teach. It's something that the church needs to teach. You and I must take personal responsibility for ourselves, for our futures, for our children. It's nice to say that the Sunday school teacher should take care of that. It's nice to say that the youth pastor should take care of that. It's nice to say that the government should take care of that. But you and I cannot deny the fact that from a biblical standpoint, God has called us each to carry our own load, our own knapsack. Now, how does that apply to finances? Well, the Bible is balanced as it teaches the importance of personal responsibility. Listen to what Paul said. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, 
laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have a right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Okay? What is the biblical principle? Let's read on down in verse 11. He says, We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. So what is the biblical principle? On the biblical principle is that I'm to care for widows and orphans and I'm to help those in need. But there's another biblical principle that balances that out, and that is personal responsibility. The Word of God teaches us that if a man does not work, he should not eat. If a person is capable of working, he should work. If a person has the ability to work, he should work. If you choose not to work and are lazy, then according to the Bible, you should be thin. I thought you might enjoy that. First service enjoyed it a little bit more. According to the Bible, if it's by your choice, and you say, hey, I just don't want to work, then you should be skinny. The Bible says if you don't work, if you are capable of doing that, and you have that ability, and you choose not to, then you should not eat. In Matthew 25, there's a parable of the talents. And the servant that made the most of his talent, of what he'd been given, this was the response that he hears from the master. It says, his master replied, now you know the story. Three guys are chosen. Each of them are given something. A talent was a sum of money. Or we could say it's an opportunity. One was given one talent, one was given two talents, and one was given five talents. And the person to whom they gave two talents, he came back to his master and he said, I've taken these two talents and I've got two more. And the master replied to him. The guy who had five talents, he took his five talents and he, and he took those and he, he just brought back, he brought back another five talents from what he had given. The person who was given one talent, he took his talent and he hid it in the ground. Now, I want you to see the response to the the men who had two and five talents. Here was the master's response in verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay? Listen to the master's reply to the man who did nothing with the opportunity that was afforded to him. Verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Now, I want you to see that principle. This is the biblical principle that God lays out. He says, this is what's going to happen. When you take what you're given, well, I've only been given two talents. Well, take those two talents and do something with those two talents and, and bring them back and present them to the master and he'll give you more, okay? 
It says that the person who takes what they have and do something with it and produce something with the opportunities that are given, the master was pleased with, and he gave them more. He entrusted them with more. He said, you've been faithful in a little, you'll be entrusted with much. The one guy comes back, and he had been unfaithful. He took his one talent, and he did nothing with it. He hid it, and he comes back to the master. What does the master say? A lot of us think that because we're Christians, the master should say, okay, here's the guy with 10 talents. Why don't we even things out here? Why don't we take the 10 talents from this guy? Let's give it to the guy who has one talent, and then we'll make everything even. He doesn't do that. The master said he's been unfaithful with what he's been given. Take it from him and give it to the one who's been faithful. Now, here's the principle that we want you to understand. The principle that we want you to understand is that God rewards faithfulness. You and I need to, we must, it's, it's not someone else's responsibility to take care of me. I have a degree of personal responsibility, okay? In our country, we need to encourage personal responsibility, that I have the ability to choose how I respond. I try to teach my kids that principle. You have the ability to choose how you respond. Do you know how fortunate you are that you get to choose what your response is? So the biblical principle that we see there is is that the one who has been faithful with little will be given more. Paul goes on to say that we're to care for our own families. Listen to what Paul says about caring for the widows in 1 Timothy 5 verse 3. He says, give proper recognition to those widows that are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first of, should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. It skips down and he says this, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So do you understand what that means? That means this, that as a son, according to the word of God, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to my family. Not just my immediate family, not just my wife and my son and my daughter, not just that whenever God, if God blesses me, not just to buy five or six more houses, not just to have the boat and the jet ski and the motorhome and all those things. I have a responsibility to care for those who are around me. Now, if God blesses you, you have a responsibility to walk in humility. Hmm? And he says, put your religion into practice. So what that means is, in the future, I may not have a lot, but in the future, if my parents have a need, from a biblical standpoint, I have a responsibility to my family. I'm their son. I have a responsibility to them. They should be able to depend upon me. We may not have a lot, but we need to share what we have. Okay? It goes further. That in the future, if Lori's mom and dad have a need, I have a responsibility. From a biblical standpoint, I have a responsibility to share what I have and to help my family who's in need. If there are orphans in my family, I have a responsibility to them. Now, let me say this. It's not my responsibility to support someone who has an unhealthy lifestyle. 
If they just don't want to work, and if they just choose to be lazy, then they get to live wherever they choose to live, okay? But I do have a responsibility that if, if there's a family member and there's one of these huge burdens, a health crisis comes into their life. As a brother, I have a responsibility to my family. And as a part of the body of Christ, when God has blessed you, he wants us to have an attitude that's willing to share with those who are in need. Does not mean, it doesn't mean that I work 60 hours a week and you choose not to work and I give you my money. That's wrong. You have a health problem. You've lost a job. There's a tragedy comes along. You need help. Whatever I have, I have a moral obligation to care for others. However, once again, it doesn't mean that I just give you or that you just give me if I just say, I don't feel like working the next six years. How about you guys just taking care of me? It's like, I don't think so, okay? It's personal responsibility. So we talked about finances. How about protection? There's another thing I want to talk to you about is protection for the weak. I believe that we need laws in place to defend the weak and the vulnerable. God's a defender of those who are weak and those who are vulnerable. We need leaders who will champion their cause. There needs to be strict punishment for human traffickers. And for those who abuse and exploit the weakest, the children, the elderly. Psalms 82 verse 3 and 4 says this. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Have you seen in the Lancaster newspapers in the past two weeks? I would encourage you to read our local papers and go online and see the news that's going on in our community. But have you seen in the local papers the past few weeks about the cases of child abuse and murder of children here in Lancaster County? One of those things was a foster parent. He got frustrated with his three-year-old foster child. So he punched her in the head and she's now in a coma in Hershey Medical Center. I believe he was the one that said she annoyed him. She got on his nerves, so he punched a three-year-old in the head so hard that she's in a coma. I wonder how he's going to feel when he realizes how annoyed the inmates at the penitentiary get with men who beat up three-year-old children and put them in comas. How about the man who smothered his child? The child had died it was uh, a couple months ago, and uh, they've gone back and questioned him again. And uh, he had... I think she was crying or she, they're getting on his nerves. It was an inconvenience. He wanted to sleep or something like that. And uh, a little child, he laid on, on this child until uh, it quit crying and the child died. Or from the Columbia area, the six-week-old baby who they're charging both his mother and his father with his murder, his father kneed him in the face. Six-week-old baby. Six-week-old baby. The father need him in the face. Can you think of any possible justification for these people's actions? And, you know, I'm not trying to, like, degrade these people. I can't think of any possible reason for a grown man to knee a six-week-old baby in the face. There's no justification. I'm sure he has his problems. I'm sure that he has his life issues. That does not justify kneeing a six-week-old baby in the face. And then the mother letting the child lay in the crib with blood on its face 
and gone to bed to get a good night's sleep, and next day the child dead. There's, can't think of anything. How about the father who smothered his child? Well, he was aggravated. He was tired. Uh, he was frustrated with it, crying. What would you think if, as your pastor, if, like, I went on to local news and began to defend these people's decisions? Would you think that would be appropriate? Let's say I wasn't here yet, and I wanted to be your pastor. And you got on Google, and you saw that in the town that I was in before, I said it was okay for the guy, you know, the guy, hey, he had work night shift. He was tired. The kid wouldn't shut up. The six-week-old wouldn't shut up. You know, some days you just got to do what you got to do. How many of you would give me a vote of confidence if I had done that? Or I defended the cause of the father who purposely laid on his child and smothered them. How many of you would vote for me to be your pastor? I'm a nice guy. Most of you, would you be a little offended by me? Would you think, how could he do that? Are you sure? Hey, you know, he was tired. He had to work the next day. The kid needed to be quiet. It was an inconvenience. Zach, why don't you and Kylie come here? Bring Addison here. Addison's 13 months old. Come on up here and stand so everybody can see you. Smile. I call her Zachy. (laughs) She looks just like her dad to me. Can you believe that a person, we can't believe that someone would say it's okay to hurt a little girl like her, right? There's no reason. Can you think of any reason to justify it? None. You got another one coming, right? When you do. February 22nd. How many weeks are you? 23 weeks. Well, how would you guys feel about this? Let's just say today, and some of you may want to leave because what I'm going to say is somewhat graphic. And if you need to go, I understand that. So we'll give you a second. Let's say this. Let's say we said, how many of you think it would be appropriate for us to get some people and Kylie to lay down on the stage and we jump on her belly until her baby dies? Would that be appropriate? Oh my gosh. Do you think that would be wrong? Is it because Kylie and Zach so desperately want her? What if it was inconvenient for her? Should we have like a ministry in the church that jumps on pregnant women's babies, that jumps on her? You know, it's inconvenient. You know, money's a little tight right now for all of us. Okay, money's a little tight. Things are a little inconvenient. Would it be appropriate for us to kind of turn our head, let her go in the back room and have people jump on her belly just until she miscarriages? Would that be appropriate? Are you sure? Okay, let me ask you this. Would you agree with me if Kylie agreed and said it's okay? Would it be appropriate for us to be a part of that? She says, okay, then then, let me ask you this. Why? Because it's wrong. It's wrong. Just a short period of time, she was in that same place, right? Just a short period of time ago, she was in that place. Yet, we have politicians who will stand up and say that because we say it's wrong to kill a little baby that's inside of her. Because we say that's not, that's not the best choice. That's not the best decision. We have politicians who will get up and argue, you wouldn't vote for me to be your pastor 
You would not. You told me all of you deserted me. Well, come on, you all deserted me because I said, "Hey, you know, the dad's a little frustrated, so you slap your kid in the head a few times." You know, I mean, it's a shame that that they're going to coma, but hey, you said you were going to leave me because of that. You deserted me. Wouldn't come here. But when it comes time to make in votes, you'll have people who will stand up and they will defend the cause of killing babies. They will get up and this is what I heard on TV the other day. A lady was on there and she said, they're going to take us back a hundred years. Then she says, no, they're going to take us back into the stone age if they remove our right to kill babies. She didn't say kill babies. But if they remove our right to choice. Now, from a biblical standpoint, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, then we need to look at the principles upon which we vote. And we've got some other things we're going to talk about in next week before, before elections. I want to encourage you. You need to think about those things. Before you vote for somebody, if you wouldn't let me be your pastor because I wanted to jump on Kylie's belly until we kill her baby, why would you vote for someone and put them as a leader of our county or of our state or of our nation if they feel that it's, that it's good? I really can't, can't think of any real excuses or reasons and why that would be good. I asked Zach and Kylie if I would like freak them out by using that illustration. So we didn't just throw that on them and they understood. This is what the Bible says in Isaiah Chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Now, if you say that abortion is wrong, people act like you're in the Stone Age. That's what they said. They're going to take us back to the Stone Age. We're going to lose 100 years. So if you just simply say, hey, it's, you know, it's just not a good idea. There's other choices. You don't have to kill. We don't have to kill babies. We don't have to abort babies. And I want to say this too. I'm completely, I'm 5 billion percent in agreement with choice. You have a choice. Make wise decisions. You have a choice. Women don't have to run around on their husbands. Girls, you don't have to be immoral. Men don't have to be sleeping with all kinds of women. You don't have to do that. You have a choice of being moral or immoral. And when you're immoral, it puts you in an awkward position. It catches up to you. So many of these things, I believe completely in choice. I'm total agreement. God gives us a free will. He lets us make a choice. But we need to make right choices. We need to make right decisions. God also gives us responsibility. Aren't you glad of this? I had some, after the first service, I had someone come up to me and said, they said to me, I'm glad my mom didn't abort me. Their mom was in a very difficult position whenever she got pregnant with this person. Their mom went through difficult times, but she loved her kids and she raised her kids. And now this is a wonderful blessing uh, this person is. But that was the words they said to me after the service. I said, Pastor, I'm so glad my mom didn't abort me. As we make our vote, as we pray about the future of our country, don't just let abortion be one. Don't just let financial things. Look at the word of God and study the word of God 
And let your vote be based upon biblical principles. One of the things that blows my mind is you get all these people who will say, well, I'm for family values. And then you find out that they live lives that are so crazy and distorted. It's just kind of like, you need to sit down. You need to sit down and get stuff before you get up and make your political speeches. As we close today, my prayer for you is that as a people, we'll pray. And we'll make our decisions based upon what God's word says. Not upon the political rhetoric. Not even upon the local voter's guide. You look at what God's word says. And you pray. And you ask God, Lord, I pray that righteousness would exalt this nation. Let me vote. Let me make decisions based upon those things that are right. And those things that are just. And those things that honor you. Father God, I pray you'd add a blessing to your word today. I pray God that... You would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that we would be people of righteousness. I pray that righteousness and right choices and those things that are good, those things that are of your kingdom, may those principles guide our every decision. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.